Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Mom on the Verge podcast, where I aim to help you improve your sense of joy, purpose, and meaning in this life. We will talk about a lot of different ways we can do this, but ultimately, we'll be working toward finding our way back home to ourselves and remembering that even in the most challenging times, peace is only a breath away. I am your host, Katie Farinas, a mom, nurse, and yogi on a mission to improve mental health and build community in our world. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Um, today, I will be speaking to Cheryl Van Cyber. Cheryl is a friend of mine. Um, she also happens to co-own uh, the yoga studio that I've been attending for the past five to six years. Um, she is one of the instructors uh, under which I was trained to become a yoga um, teacher, a certified yoga teacher. So by day, Cheryl um, is a law firm administrator but all of her other time is spent dedicated to her passion of yoga and community development. The studio opened in 2015 um, when Cheryl uh, had a different business partner than she currently does. Uh, Kate Motes was her original uh, business partner when the, the studio opened, but Kate had to move away. And so that provided the space and opportunity for Cheryl's daughter, Jenna Kelly, uh, to become co-owner in 2021. So currently they both own and run the studio um, and their mission is to create a sanctuary uh, that feels like home to people where people can come and not only practice yoga together but form a community where we really support each other and help each other through the tough times and celebrate each other in the good times where we feel accepted and uh, loved no matter where we come from who we are what our beliefs are uh, it's a beautiful space and um, i'm so eternally grateful for it in my life so i really wanted to interview cheryl because i know that she has not had an easy life she's really been through uh, quite a few difficult challenges in her life um, some of which you'll hear on this episode but really it's just skimming the surface of some of the things that cheryl has had to endure in her life um, and come out the other side creating this beautiful community that's just grounded in love. Um, so there's a lot to learn from Cheryl and her experiences and her wisdom. Um, I will warn you, we had a little snafu in our recording. So um, it may, we had to actually record on two separate days, this one singular conversation. Uh, so you may hear that in the recording. I apologize for that. But uh, nonetheless, I think there is so much to be gained from this conversation. I hope you really enjoy it. And if you are anywhere in the area of Marlton, New Jersey, come take a class at Balance Planet Yoga. You will not regret it. All right. Thanks, guys. I am so excited to have this conversation. Um, so How are you? It's so cool you're doing this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I feel called to do it. So here we are. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, and the main point of the podcast is to highlight a lot of different things, but it's to improve mental health overall, mm -hmm. but to 
um, talk to a lot of different people who have been through some challenging things in their lives and uh, managed to overcome them with a lot of grace and how they did that and um, what lessons they learned from that. It's to help people feel that they're not alone when they're struggling. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to give them like a sense of, I can do this, like somebody else has done this and I can do this too, you know, give them yeah. that strength. Um, and also give them tips and tools, right? Little strategies and things that um, have helped other people overcome challenges, um, mindset shifts mm-hmm. that really are really important to getting over some of these more challenging things in life. So that's that's really the main point of the podcast, which is one of the reasons I thought you would be a perfect person to interview. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, um, so we'll start off. Um, I guess the first thing I'd like to ask you is um, to give us a little information about your background, um, where you came from, what it was like, you know, when you were growing up, and then um, how maybe some of your earlier life experiences contributed to the path that you're on now. Sure. Um, I was born in New Jersey. Um, in 1968, uh, to two really amazing parents. And um, I credit them uh, with the way they raised me in a very loving environment for who I am at my core. So, uh, you know, everything that I've had to go through and deal with in life, my default factory setting is love. Right. So, um, that's my early years growing up or I just had, it was great. I have wonderful, wonderful memories, um, of growing up with my sister and my mom and dad and the traveling we would do and just all the fun games and stuff we would play. Um, it was great. It was absolutely great. Um, until I got to be about 13, I would say, and then you know, hormones, um, and things like that kind of took over. We had moved, um, from my community, uh, growing up when I was in third, third or fourth grade. And that set me on a little rough patch. I was really sad about having to move and leave my friends. And, um, I just remember like from 13, I mean, definitely until my early twenties, if it, there was a hard way to do it, I, that's the way I did it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of crazy, but, you know, looking backward, um, there'd be nothing really that I would pluck out because I, I wouldn't get to be who I am now without having that like really broad range of experiences. Um, I graduated high school in 1986 and uh, it was a year we must have had like a lot of snow days because I remember not graduating to like the very end of June. Um, and in that year, uh, within three days of, of graduating, I left for Europe and moved to Europe. And that's where I had uh, Jenna, um, you know, and had a lot of adventures in my twenties that looking back, I'm like, I don't know how my parents let me get on that airplane. Like things that I, you know, I have my own children now. I thought I'm like, oh my God, how did I, how did I even let that happen? Um, 
but yeah, we had a, a lot of adventures in those years and it, it wasn't really until I, um, after I had had my youngest when I around 35, that I started to, um, think like maybe there's an easier way to live, right? Maybe there's an easier way to live. And, um, I thought maybe at first that was going to be like, I would go to therapy and there would be medication involved. I can remember going to see my doctor and I'm like, I don't feel okay. Um, and he, I left there with a prescription to go on medicine and something inside me just said there has to be something else that I could try first. And that's how I got to back to yoga, like really got back to yoga. So yoga had been something that you had done previously or earlier in your life, but yeah. like straight away from. Yeah, uh, I was a gymnast as a kid. So I was a, very much attracted to the physical part of the practice when I was young. But in, when I came back after I had Jamie and Kyle, but even at first, I only first went because I thought I just didn't feel good. Like there was something, you know, and so if I lost weight or, you know, like that would make me feel better. So really even at first it was the physical, um, but I did this 30 day challenge with this studio that I joined and it was, I just, after 30 days, I wasn't, a, I wasn't uptight anymore. Mm like little things. I always say, you'll hear me say it sometimes, you know, especially when I'm teaching beginners, like, you know, I wasn't worried if somebody cut me off in traffic or got cut in front of me in a line or just some of the little things that happen in life that you have this big reaction to, right? Just mm -hmm. started not to feel like the end of the world. You know, and I thought, what's okay. here, yeah. you know, yeah. what's here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Going back to when you were younger, what do, what do you think, why do you think you were doing things the hard way? Why do you think that you had this internal drive to? So part of it was my parents raised me to be uber independent to their detriment. So I, I always felt very confident and you know, there's just this period of time where my, my parents uh, were very strict, like very strict. I wasn't like even allowed to go spend the night out. You know, I couldn't hang out with my friends late at night. So felt very contained, even though they had made me super independent. And, and some of the things were too, like having to move. When we first, I was, went to Catholic school. When we first moved, I went to public school such a culture shock, wasn't used to people talking back to teachers or the behavioral disruptions that sometimes happen. Mm -hmm. Just That just didn't happen in Catholic school. Um, I got beat up and, you know, I got picked on. I was very little mm -hmm. and um, it was about two years of that. And then I went back to Catholic school and I, 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 I don't know that I could really, there was those things existed in the background of things. I wanted to be free, which I think is the most comical thing now as a 55 year old woman. Um, I was never more free as a teenager, right? But I just, I would put protest signs on the outside of my bedroom door, you know, like I was in some kind of like 
60s or 70s sit-in, um, you know, these awful people with their rules, you know, and I just wanted out. I don't, I don't know what from, but I, I felt contained and I, I wanted to be free. Now, the reality of that is um, if you decide at 18 that you want to go be free, you then enter into a place where you have to make money, you have to figure out how to support yourself, um, and you actually become kind of less free mm-hmm. because of that. Um, and then, yeah, I don't, and I won't, that's, if I looking backward, I can say it's just kind of some of those events in my life that kind of pushed me away from my parents who had like idolized, you know, my whole, and still do now, you know, thank God with my parents, there was nothing fatal there, right? They're just wonderful people. I just thought, you know, I knew best and that um, I needed to be free of them. They were, they were so mean. Which is probably a pretty common um, adolescent. So, yeah. 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 And then it's just like, you know, what is your path in this life? Who are you going to stumble on? You know, I I believe um, very deeply in the philosophy that exists behind yoga, um, the, the religious and the spiritual things that exist behind yoga. So this go around for me, this in- reincarnation put me on a path. And for whatever reason, I was meant to have some challenges early on, you know, to work, to work through whatever it is that I, that I needed to work through. 55 year old Charles is grateful um, because of where I am now, but it was tough. It was definitely tough. Are you, is there anything you would be comfortable sharing with the audience about some of the sure. things that, yeah, the challenges that you experienced? Um, and I, I have a bad uh, partner picker. I did have a bad partner picker. So, you know, I went to Europe because my high school boyfriend joined the army. Um, and that was the only way I could go is if we, I, we got married and I went um, and he was not husband material. And I was a force because I can remember sitting at the kitchen table with my parents and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to move to Germany. I'm going to get married. I'm going to go to Germany. And my dad's like, you are not doing that. I'm like, well, I'm 18. So you can either agree with me and, you know, we can do this kind of, we could do this the easy way, or I'm just going to do it anyway. So, you know, you decide so ballsy, you know, just so ballsy, but you know, my Jen, uh, Jenna's dad, terrible marriage, you know, like really terrible. I thought that married people never fall. You know, my parents, I've never seen my parents fight. And, you know, I got to Germany, my first apartment. And within two weeks, I was walking the streets of of the village that I lived in going, what what did I do? You know, he was just so incredibly cruel. And then my pride, right? Like, how do I tell anybody this is what I'm dealing with? It was crazy. How incredibly Was not prepared for that. Yeah. Whatsoever was not prepared for that whatsoever. 
And um, things like this never get better. They only get worse. Um, domestic violence is, um, is a cycle for sure. And it only got worse. And uh, Jenna was maybe a couple months old, three months old when something so horrific happened that I was literally like, take me to the airport now. And I grabbed whatever I could put in a suitcase or car seat and Jenna and I left. And, you know, I called my parents. My parents were like, of course you can come home. You know, everything, everything that I had built up in my head about these horrible people um, was, was so untrue. And they took me back and took care of me and took care of Jenna, you know, got me back on my feet. But that lesson was not enough. <laughs> had to do that again um you know very similar kind of thing just picked the wrong person um you know and it's funny you think sometimes well I've learned it's going to be different but if you don't clean up you first right it, it these things become your normal you just get attracted to them. You don't even realize it because there's no um, there's no awareness there, right? So you're pulled to the familiar is what I've noticed. If you don't bring some discernment in, you just get pulled to the familiar. And again, you know, wrong person, but pride stuck it out longer. Um, you know, again, to the point where I was like, you know, Zach and Jen and I went back to my parents and then did the same thing a third time. And, you know, I was for sure not gonna, you know, get divorced for the third time. That was for sure not going to happen to me. And, um, you know, I knew about mm, probably six or seven years in that it was over, but I had Jamie and Kyle were little and I had this in my head that um, I didn't want them to go through what Jenna and Zach had to go through with divorce and all, you know, all that comes with that mm -hmm. sharing time. And uh, it, it was hard on them. Very, very hard on them, particularly very much Zach. It was really hard on. So I said, I'm, gonna, I'm here till they graduate from, from high school. They'll get off to college and then I'll go do my thing. And again, something so horrible happened that you couldn't look the other way. Um, and that was kind of bottom, pretty close to bottom for me, where I realized that, um, you know, this is near when I started practicing yoga, that I was the common denominator. You know, yes, these were not, these are people definitely had issues and certainly they had no right to treat me the way that I had been treated, but that if I didn't want this to be my life, I was going to have to clean things up, mm -hmm. my things up. And, um, you know, that's what I've spent the last, certainly very much the last eight years since I got divorced, working on, um, but really had started when I was about 35. 
so that I could, I could be okay. The goal was that when I started to do this young, when I knew that I wasn't going to stay in the marriage that I was in, was that by the time they went to high school, I would know who I was and what I deserved and that I would, um, I would be in a good place. You know? Yeah. You certainly hit that goal. I feel pretty good now. Yeah. You know, I, I have a, definitely have a good understanding of who I am. I feel like I've started to understand how life works. Um, you know, I have a very deep spiritual practice that sustains me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's been the last few years have been really, really much better. Yeah. And for my kids too. Like, I feel like, you know, we've all kind of had the opportunity to heal a little bit from some stuff and reconcile some things. How has the practice, because, you know, you mentioned earlier, you you first, you went just for the physical component, Mm -hmm. which I think is pretty common for most people. It's like the gateway or the entrance into the practice. Right. right. And for some people, they stay there and that's fine too. That's where they're at. Um, but for some people it evolves into something much deeper mm-hmm. than just the movements. Right. Um, and obviously it has for you and how, how have you benefited from that? I guess, like what, what have you learned right. and how has it helped you heal and how has it helped you get to know yourself better? Right. So as we know, um, there's this path in yoga that we learn a lot about usually in a yoga teacher training, this eight limb path. Right. And, um, we start out with the restraints and the practices and it kind of, that's kind of how it went for me and really how it has the ability to be helpful for people, no matter kind of really where they're going with it. And for different people, they stay in, you know, they could stay in a sauna for a little, a little while, but those other tools, like even just learning about the breath, I had the ability to stop panic attacks. Right. So if I would get that really anxious feeling, I would do a pranayama practice and that would chill me out. And then you, you learn how to concentrate and yoga is like this scientific, um, spiritual, religious, this whole system, 5,000 year old, maybe 10,000 year old, um, system. If you're going to stay on it, I think eventually you make your way maybe this time, maybe next lifetime, down the eight limbs. So all along the way, I had places to rest that were helpful for what I was ready for at that point. You know, I wasn't sure how initially how I felt about the divine, the idea of Krishna or deities or that kind of thing when I first came into the practice. So the system kind of, get you ready, cleans you up, you know, and as you're ready, you kind of pro- progress up it. Mm-hmm. Every step of the way, there was something, the, the physical helped, definitely it was stress, with, with feeling physically better. Um, I, but now at this point where I've started to adopt some of the other practices, mantra and um, reading scriptures and japa, um, it's, it's, I don't even know how to put it. It's, it's just like the elixir for dealing with the pain of being human. 
because it's not easy to be human. It's never going to be easy. It's not easy for me today. I could list off about four or five things that I'm dealing with right now that are not easy. But um, I just have a deep knowing that I'm more than this material world. Yeah. So it gives me peace, gives me so much peace. And I think that's one of the beautiful gifts of the practice is the ability over time to learn how to find peace in the storm. The storm is still raging around you. You see it, you know, it's there, but you can find your center and find peace despite the storm. And then from that place of peace, you can choose inspired action. Right. To deal with yeah, right. If you can get out of the reactivity, mm-hmm. I bump into this, I bump into that, I bump into this, I bump into that, just create a little bit of calm. You have just this wellspring inside of you of wisdom and intuition. It's just usually drowned out by chaos. You can't access it. Yeah. Right. Okay, Cheryl, we are back. So just to let the listeners know, we had a little technological snafu where Cheryl and I got interrupted in mid-conversation from our last conversation. We reconnected and I forgot to hit record. So here we are, a part two of our conversation. Well, part two B, I guess. Part two A was unrecorded. Yes. (laughs) 2B. So uh, we're going to try to link these conversations and make the whole podcast flow as best as possible. But if you're noticing that the sound is different or the conversation seems to be a little disjointed between the first half and the second half. That is why. Yes. So welcome back, Cheryl. Thank and you. thank you for taking the time to be here. Um, cool. I did in preparation for this um, call, go back and re-listen to what we had talked about previously. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I wanted to circle back on was the idea of freedom. So you had mentioned early on how you, when you were a teenager, you felt like your parents had really just constrained you and all you really wanted was freedom. Yeah. And then you, of course, left your parents' home and then had to you know, support yourself and had, you know, went through a difficult relationship process and realized how much freedom you had actually really had prior to all of this. Right. But I love the concept of freedom because I think it's actually really what we're all searching for our whole lives is freedom. And as adults, we will always have responsibilities of, you know, work or children or homes or caring for elderly parents or whatever it is that life brings our way. So how do we find freedom within that? And then do you think your definition or your concept of freedom has changed between when you were young and now? Mm, Yes, definitely. My concept of it has changed my my teenage concept was uh, literally being able to do whatever I wanted to do it when I wanted to do it with who I wanted to do it, right? Just very simple like that, you know, like I just wouldn't have anybody to answer to. That was my definition of freedom. And then as I got older, even though I definitely had that ability, right? As a, when, as a grown up, that you do have that ability um, I felt you feel constrained and not free by your responsibilities. And, 
um, a lot of that is just a misunderstanding when you're young about, you know, you, to me, I always wanted to be a parent, you know, I wanted to have children. I was always, um, you romanticize that right? Um, you, you see just, you know, what's on television or in movies, but the reality of that is a lot of heavy responsibility. Um, and it's just a mislabeling it, it, you know, of, of your thinking. Um, also I, I, I have definitely come to realize now many years later that, these things that we go through, our life responsibilities, this, this external idea of freedom and our and the challenges we get to it are are all there for very good reason. They're to push us inside, you know, to push us back to figuring out where true freedom is. And that's an inside job. You know, um, it's freedom from those thoughts that I'm not free, you know, um, freedom from, from the pressure of always feeling like you have to do more, be more, um, it's all that's just, it's, it's to push you back inside to hopefully realize how truly free we can be, you know, when we stop being constrained by the material world so that yeah definitely my ideas of freedom have really really changed yeah and I I asked you uh, that because I you know you mentioned before you said I had a bad partner picker and I had to keep I had to keep going through and learning this lesson again and again and again and I think that that I think that for most people, if they take a moment and they reflect back on their lives, mm-hmm. they will see certain trends in their lives. Oh, yeah. They'll see certain things that, like, wow, this just keeps repeatedly showing up in my life. And I've, I, the question becomes why, right? I've had that same, right. same question myself, like, oh my gosh, why does this keep circling? What are you trying to teach me, God? Like, what right, is this? Right, right. Why does this keep swinging back at me, boomeranging back at me? Um, and I think that is the lesson, right? So it's, it's learning yeah. to become free and see those things that are coming into our lives as opportunities, see challenges as opportunities to identify yeah. where we're not free and then yep. do the internal work to become free, regardless of what's going on outside right. of us. Yeah. I always say like when things like that happen, you know, how's the yoga working? Right. Like, you know, these things come into our lives to either polish us up or, or, you know, to show us where, where is the work still? And, and sometimes, you know, in an instance in life where you have these things come around that you're like, oh my God, like why always me? We can start to realize, well, maybe it doesn't really have very much to do with me at all. Maybe I'm, you know, this is just somebody else's stuff. I happen to have, you know, have to be here for, but it's not really about me, you know, and that frees you up just as much as if you can have those same, that same kind of clear vision, 
you know, when something happens to you for the third time that you can probably say, well, no, I am the common denominator. Mm -hmm. I have some work to do here, Mm -hmm. but I can see it more clearly now what needs to be done. And you start to disentangle yourself. You know, in yoga, we call those um, our samskaras. You know, these are little like seeds um, that are way deep in our subconscious. Some of them we planted ourselves there. Some of them happened in relationships, teachers. Some of them maybe came from previous lives. Um, And they're always sprouting things like your personality traits, um, the way you act in relationships, the way you show up as an employee, how you treat your children. Um, And we don't even know they're there, right? And it's in this process of going within meditation um, in particular that, you know, maybe we start to get in touch with some of these things and and weed these things out. That's how we really become free. We're, we're so sometimes chained and locked up from the inside out. We assume it's an external problem. Really, it's an internal problem. Yeah. So I see like two different things of what you said there. So one thing would be being able to identify when you do need to do the internal work. Yeah versus whatever is happening has actually nothing to do with me, even though it may be happening to me, but it is because of the unresolved work that somebody else maybe in your life needs to be doing. And they're, you know, they're pushing that out onto you, but it's really, you don't need to hold on to it. You don't need to take responsibility for it. You don't need to carry it around. uh, You don't need to fix it. You don't need to, right. You don't need to fix it. No, it is, it is truly just a reflection of their pain that they're projecting onto you versus, you know, your responsibility, which is always yourself, right. That's really ultimately always our responsibility is ourself. And so how can you go a little deeper into, you you touched on it, how meditation helps us to see that, to see that internal programming. Right. In both cases. You first have to go inside. You have to, you have to start to know who you are and um, what your habits are, what's on your loop, what's driving you. And meditation, we try to cultivate bare attention to just watching what is there. Um, you know, some people have the are, are misinformed that meditation is about shutting down the thoughts in your mind. And that there should be just like this void or quiet, you know, while you're watching your thoughts, but that's a Herculean task. I don't even know if it's possible because um, when you're awake, uh, the mind produces thoughts. It's the nature of the mind. It produces thoughts Um, because we're generally externally facing creatures. That mental chatter um, goes unnoticed a lot of times when we're in our waking state looking out, but it's driving us. It's totally driving you. So in meditation, we go inside and we first just start to learn to watch. And it, it, sometimes I laugh uh, now. Your, your brain says the craziest things. Your mind, it's 
You know, Michael, Michael Singer calls it the crazy neighbor upstairs. It never shuts up. And it has something to say about everything. And, you know, I'm amazed sometimes, you know, driving down the street, you know, like literally something from third grade will pop into my head and you get that whole emotional response to it. And if you're unaware of that, you've get, got these emotions built up. I might take the next person's head off, right? I might take the next thing very personally. It might make me upset because I'm already upset by something that happened 45 years ago, right? So in meditation, we, we learn to see these patterns in ourselves. And, you know, there's just something about being aware of your own stuff or your own patterns or the own things that have kind of been planted in your subconscious that starts to take away their power. Right. So you get like, even if it's just like half a second more or a second more of time before your reaction, because when it's something external that's happening to you, you know, somebody comes up and you, you get that feeling they've said something or done something, you get that from feeling, but because you've been practicing seeing your stuff, that initial feeling, you get a feeling, you get a moment of discernment. You know, what's this about? Did something get triggered inside of me? That's my stuff, right? I have to own, or is this one of those scenarios where somebody's suffering themselves and they touched upon something in me that we we're mirrors for each other, but that's not really about me, right? So that's kind of the practice of it. It sounds almost so boring, you know, that I think a lot of people get turned off by it. And so almost new agey kitschy, like how the heck could that work? Right. Me just sitting with my thoughts, that's going to, but you know, anybody that I talk to that have spent any time trying to do it, you know, we all seem to say the same thing. I have a lot more peace. I have a lot less conflict. I don't get pushed and pulled around through my life so much like I used to. So, and, and you've got five to 10,000 years of uh, Vedic teachings and uh, the recordings of sages and saints that all say, you know, come this way. Yeah. I say if life's really hard, if you're feeling like, why always me? Why does this keep happening? You know, I think it's like a blaring neon sign. Go within. You know, stop looking to blame everybody else. Stop looking to make everything else the cause. And go back to your causal self. Yeah, I totally agree. And I remember um, part of, and you can probably tell me where this comes from, because I don't remember exactly the origin, but Mm-hmm. there's something that says, do, don't take anything personally, right? Isn't that part of, that was part of That's like- Don Miguel uh, Ruiz, yeah, the okay. four agreements. Don't you can't take personally. anything personally. And when I first read that, I had a very strong reaction to that, mm-hmm. thinking, well, what are you talking about? Like, of course, I mean, if I'm not doing yeah. anything wrong and someone comes up to me and starts yelling at me or calling me names mm-hmm. or- whatever the case may be, 
Uh, of course, yeah. I'm going to take that personally. Um, and it, I think that's most people's probably reaction yeah, if they were to sure. read that. But then it requires a deeper understanding. So the more you meditate and the more that you get yeah. to know the crazy neighbor upstairs, as you call him yeah. or her, right. um, and you see that constant nonstop stream of thoughts and opinions and judgments and, you know, categorizing as good or bad or right or wrong, um, then you can see how, you can see how we all make judgments, yeah. but we can learn to recognize when we're doing it and to not take right. things personally, right? So either this is this person's work that they need to do, so I should not take it personally because it's not mm -hmm. about me, it's about the work they need to do, or it's about the work I need to do, but I don't need to have a judgment about that. I can just yeah. recognize it and accept it and mm -hmm. do the work that I need to do. Right. Right. Um, so I think that's yeah, well, amazing. It's, you know, you want to you know, trying to just look for a, just a smoother path, you know, not kind of the middle way they call that in Buddhism where, you know, I'm not constantly pulled between the highest high and the lowest low that I can kind of be in the middle, taking it all in, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, Don Miguel Ruiz, he says, you know, even if someone's calling you like the most vile names or, you know, really saying something, it's, it's really not about you. And that, man, that's a tough one to sit with at first. It is. You know, and I, it's a really I good think, book. The four, those four agreements is a really yeah, good book really because good. it really does challenge your perceptions. The other one that, um, really stuck with me from that one is, um, the doing every day, just do your best. Mm -hmm. No, you know, I was always trained. Your best is like a plus every day. Right. And um, Miguel Ruiz says, no, like some days you might be tired. Some days you might be sick. So it's literally do your best that day. And I think that's really powerful. If you can bring that into this whole idea of, you know, some days it's a little easier to do this work, a little easier to be uh, self-aware and trying to, to transcend and see the good in everyone and love everyone. And then other days, you know, something broke, the car broke down, you got yelled at by your boss, the kids did something crazy, you know, and you, your window of tolerance is like this big. And so your best, it looks a little different that day, you know, but that's also a self-awareness thing, a, a realization of like what is happening inside and outside that comes from meditation. And so, you know, I find it beat myself up less for being human. Which is huge. You're basically yeah. saying, I give myself permission to be human, right? Yeah, I give myself yeah, permission and grace, yes, to have days maybe that are a little rough. And, you know, and at the end of yeah. the day, I say, well, I did the best I could for today. Right. And- I see, you know, where I maybe could have made different choices and I wish I had, but I'm only human and yeah. tomorrow is a new day. Yeah. yeah. And, Absolutely. and when someone, I think, you know, just circling back to whether, you know, it's your stuff or somebody else's stuff, 
I think that we all have these things inside of us that that we can rub up against and they're they're prickly, mm-hmm. they're, you yeah. know, you want to react to them. And usually if someone says or does something to me, and I know with 100% certainty that that is not true, it does not bother me at all. Yeah. It doesn't bother right. me at all. But if it's something that maybe internally I'm struggling with, because mm-hmm. something from my childhood, some programming I have going on inside, mm-hmm. there's some some part of me is identifying some truth to their statement or to their action. Well, then I get much more defensive and wild, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so that's really great with that internal work because you can say, oh, that's really upsetting me or offending me because hey, wow. inside- like, what's this Right. I'm, I'm really like thinking this about myself, I guess. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. (laughs) I need to do a little, you know, deep dive on that situation. Um, and again, it's not, it's not about them. It's Mm -hmm. about now it's back to me again. Right. You know, they may have lashed out at me because of whatever their unresolved issues were, but if it's triggering me now, it's back to being about me because something they said, yeah, yes. Yep, no, exactly. Very, way. very true. It's, yeah. you know, you're not going to escape the work on this planet. Like it's going to come at you one way or the other. There's no way that I found certainly to remain in this world <laughs> and completely transcend those kind of interactions. They happen all the time, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. But um, you have to have a way to clean these things up you know, um, to come to like the end of your day and just kind of process it and do what you just said. You know, I did my best today, you know, you know, where I could, I showed up and I did the work and where I couldn't, I, I see that now or whatever it is, the conversation that you have with yourself to try to clean up the strands of your your day, you know, and sometimes we do our best that they just have to, the day ends there and tomorrow we start a new day. Right. And we try again the best the other day, but some days too, like I find what's helped me, um, in my interactions with people and in myself is to clean things up. Right. Especially with the people I care about. If I have had like, you know, one of my kids has said something, my reaction was like, not what I would have hoped it would be. And maybe in that moment, I, I didn't show up the best that I could have if I'd had like, you know, a good night's sleep or something like that. I go back and I try to clean it up, mm-hmm. you know, like, Hey, that was me because like, I want to also, especially with my, where my children are concerned, you know, or the people I really care about um, for sure. Or, or that care to hear me talk um, is I want to show them what it looks like to say, Hey, I lashed out on you. And that wasn't about you. I was feeling bad inside and I took that out on you or, you know, what you said triggered me, but that was my responsibility to deal with it. I'm sorry that you, I spilled on you a hurt that I've been carrying. Um, I think that's a huge thing we can do when we're also doing that work, trying to show other people, what does the internal external kind of thing look like in exchange in relationship with each other how we can help each other that way yeah I totally agree I totally agree and it shows 
a lot of compassion for the other person and compassion for yourself. And it gives yeah. them the, um, and again, we come back to freedom because all this is about freedom, yeah. but yeah, it gives them the freedom now when they have a day that's maybe not so great to not beat themselves yeah. up and to come back to you yeah. and say, Ooh, that was a rough one. I'm sorry. And they know that you'll be open and loving and receptive to whatever they have to say, because now you've established that type of trust relationship between the two of you, which. And, and, and to me, this, this is freedom. Yeah. When I, when I have the freedom to be myself, um, that it's sometimes messy and, but I know that I'm around people that I can clean that up with. Not that I abuse it, right. Not that I abuse it, but I can, I can really be in relationship with people that allow me to grow and learn. That's freedom. Mm-hmm. Not how much money's in my bank account, not how many trips I've planned this year, um, not the car I drive, none of that, none of those things. Do I get to show up and be me? You know, that is freedom. Yeah which actually transitions beautifully into um, another question I wanted to ask you, which is what do you, how do you see the difference between joy and happiness? Do you classify them as different? Do you see them as the same? I don't really classify them as different. I think they're both our default states, but I think uh, maybe a little bit bad definitions for them. thanks to like Hallmark and the Lifetime Channel. (laughs) Um, To me, in my study and in my experience, um, it's just really a a being at peace. You know, certainly we have these moments in life where they're celebratory and, you know, they, they produce a real kind of uplifting kind of feeling. But real true joy, real true bliss that's sustainable is um, to me more in line with like that loving vibration. You know, like just a, a not, not a feeling that's like this, you know, it's just unsustainable to maintain, right? It's just a, a comfortable, loving vibration is the best way that I, a peace in your heart, a comfortable, feeling comfortable in your own skin. Um, but definitely love. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. And to me, I guess I would discern, I would call that joy. And I would call what you're saying, like, you know, you're celebrating something and you're really happy about Mm -hmm. it. You buy a new car and you're really happy about it, or you plan that trip and you're really happy about it. But happiness, joy, I feel like you can, you can have joy and be sad at the same time, right? We can mm-hmm. hold both of those together. It's not an either or, it's a yes and. Where yeah. happiness, it's hard to be happy and sad at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? It's so- such a, a neat thing about emotions. There's so many shades of them. And we try to use these words as best we can to capture feelings, you know, and how we can, I can definitely see what you're saying as ways 
of kind of defining those couple of things. I definitely feel those. And being able to recognize it in the moment, I think is a really beautiful thing because sometimes when we are going through really challenging times, if we're focusing solely on whatever those things are in our lives that we would not prefer and that we're struggling with, um, if we can recognize that we can still feel love and peace and joy despite those things, or at the same time as those things, I think that's really freeing, right? I don't have to just be sad, angry, frustrated. I can be those things. We're human. We're all going right. to have emotions, right? But right. I can also hold joy yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, part of um, one of the things that we do in Yoga Nidra is practice holding opposites right? So that we can promote equanimity, um, you know, possible to move through opposite emotions and kind of balance the brain. But also in yoga nidra helps prep us for a state that goes beyond, um, it's not even a state, it's a place that goes beyond our deep sleep consciousness. Um, it's called Turiya. It, um, it's the place in my um, mind that the power of opposites falls away. So above samadhi, uh, liberation. So it practices us for finding that state in meditation and being able to stay with it. Mm-hmm you know, to have um, equal vision kind of deal. And I think that too, in meditation, like people expect that when they reach enlightenment, uh, they get liberated. It's like we say, right? Samadhi is bliss or, um, you know, there's going to be fireworks or some deal. But I think from what I study and what I experience that it's a more peaceful kind of being, you know, so it's, it's good practice in our waking lives to know that we can hold competing things and the ability to hold competing things is joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. is joy and the um, I, just to clarify for people who are listening the idea mm-hmm. of equanimity is mm-hmm. that similar to what you would say you called earlier the middle path where your, yeah. your emotions yeah. are yeah you're not up high you're not down low you're just yeah. kind of coasting yeah. somewhere in between yeah yeah and you're more able to like see what really is then from, from that kind of place. Sometimes we call that the, the seat of the witness, right? At the soul level. Um, but joy, I guess you have to think about, and maybe, maybe that's something really worthy of contemplation is that difference between joy and happiness and getting, uh, getting clear on, um, 
what your default nature is. And I think, you know, we all do have a default nature. Um, and so kind of like our weight, you know, like everybody kind of has a default weight, right? So sometimes yeah. you're going to diet and you're going to lose a little weight or maybe you want vacation, you yeah. lose a little weight, um, but kind of your body wants to rest around this certain weight, whatever it is for your particular right, body. Right. And I think that we have default emotions too. Like we have, each of us has an emotion that when we're not really paying attention to our lives, we, and we're not paying attention to that inner dialogue that's going on, yeah. we default to it. So it could be sadness. It could be anger. It could be frustration. It could be, it could be happiness. Could be. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times for a lot of people, it tends to be a little more on the negative side uh, when we're not paying attention. Um, yeah. And so having that awareness of what your default emotion is, recognizing it, seeing it for what it is clearly, and then making a conscious choice to change our thought patterns to produce a different emotion is- So very interesting. I mean, this is samskara, mm -hmm. right? So I wouldn't, I, so I would, would want to clarify. Um, that would be your emotional pattern that's externalizing. I say is not your default emotional state. That's driven by your samskaras. Every self with a capital S, their default emotion state is joy or bliss. How you can intellectualize that, I don't know if it's even possible without having a direct experience really that way. But what you're talking about in my estimation are what I would call departure points for self-exploration. So if I noticed that I am always going to the negative, if I notice I get angry very easy, that's a direct highway um, to go to a samskar. That is something definitely to look at. There is something there. And I can maybe meditate using traditional like Vipassana insight meditation just to try to stay with that and see what's really there. Use a practice like Yoga Nidra to explore that. Um, and, and there are real gifts. You could start to see those things as gifts. You really can start to burn those things off. And then your true nature is, is not as clouded over. So you know the koshas, right? That we, we learned, right? Um, so uh, food body, pranayama, pranayama kosha, uh, the mind kosha, wisdom kosha, then bliss, right? We get to mm -hmm. covers the soul. All these things, anger, uh, that thing that happened to you in third grade, uh, the person that cut you off, those get planted in the bliss layer. And, you know, enough of that happens. It's covering over the bliss, right? Is covering over the, the bliss layer is lit by your soul. So the soul is pure joy, pure, pure love, pure bliss. The uh, next covering over covers that. 
when that gets really opaque, no wonder everything coming out is negative, right? That it's filtered by that. So that's what we're trying to do. It's like, oh, we, I notice, like I get triggered every time this happens. Oh, let me go back to that. Now I cleaned off the window a little bit there. And if I can keep going back and I can polish that bliss layer back up, now my true nature is shining through a little bit more easily. Yeah, that's a beautiful explanation. Beautiful explanation. And I think what happens with meditation is it's a it's a little bit more of a direct highway to to accessing yeah. the soul. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then over time, you know, if you can learn to sit and access that space while you're sitting and quiet and you know peaceful yeah. contemplation, then you can start recognizing the things that need to be cleaned up, and then in the physical world, be cleaning those up. And then being eight over time, as you're like, you're saying you clean the window and you clean it a little bit more and you clean it a little bit more. And before you know it, I shouldn't say before you know it, this is a lifetime process. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't act like that. It's a quick, yeah. quick fix. Yeah, right. It is not. Scars all the time. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But over time and with practice, you will notice that you can access that soul, that light, that inner peace yeah. much more easily than you were able to do it before, um, which and brings us back to freedom. <laughs> it does. It really does. And and it really does redefine that. You know, it it's interesting. I try to tell people like there, there's just nothing extraordinary about me, special about me. I'm the same as everybody else. You know, I've had some really difficult things happen in my life not unlike everybody else. Mm. And this has really helped me. Really, really helped me. Um, you know, right before I was ready to come back, uh, not even right before I was ready, I didn't even know I was ready to come back. But I had gone to the doctor, he was ready to put me on Prozac. You know, and I, uh, you know, I went to my first yoga class in like, I don't know, many years because I had a ton of kids. And it did just didn't take long for this stuff to work. And it wasn't like first day in, I had all the tools and, you know, it's levitating off my mat or it was really just one day showing up to my mat and then the next day doing something else. And it just, as much as I gave to it, it gave it back. And, you know, you spend a little more time doing this and another insight opened up and it was so subtle in the beginning. I mean, it really took some time for me to realize, oh my God, life's, life's not as hard. I mean, it is as hard still dealing, you know, with husband being deployed to Iraq and, you know, my best friend was killed in a motorcycle accident, like really heavy things, but I don't want to walk into traffic you know, and I'm not taking off everybody's head around me. I'm functional and I'm, I can be happy mm-hmm. even when things are really heavy. Yeah. Without guilt. Without guilt, which is another huge emotion. I think we all carry around. Yeah. How can I be happy if, right this is going on? How can I be happy if my loved one is sick or, you know, there are people in the world that 
are suffering, how can I be happy? And I think especially as women, we carry that. It seems that women carry that more than men. Um, and it's, it's very heavy. It's something that I've struggled with myself. And especially if you're just naturally an empathic, sensitive person, Mm-hmm. You, you do feel like, well, why do, why do I get to be happy? Why do I get to have this life if other right. people don't? And so how do you, I guess, how do you um, reconcile? Right. Well, have you ever been things? like in a conversation with a group of people and it's like, let me one up you on how hard my life is. You know, do you dare say, well, I'm actually doing pretty good right? You'd feel terrible. You're like, oh my God, these people are, you know, I don't want to tell them I'm great. So you're right. Like that, that pull to the negative, to complain, to lament. And it's very, some things are very worthy of being upset about, uptight about, worrying about. Um, but we very rarely talk about our joys. And if someone does, they be off oh, their bragging look at them showing off with their happiness. (laughs) (laughs) Don't they know I'm miserable? Right. So it's tough. It's tough sometimes to be a light. It is. And that's, I guess where I come back to is that we can only control what we can control. Right. So I, I can only, I would love to, you know, make sure that there was zero starving children in the world and there was never another war and, you know, no one ever died of another illness. Clearly those things are out of my control and I only have control over me. So finding another way of finding peace is finding our own gifts and talents and using them to make the world a better place. And that can happen just one interaction at a time. One interaction. You, know, yes. you never know where your influence ends. You know, there's, I think Ben Franklin said that of teachers. Like, you know, no one knows where the influence of a teacher ends, something like that, he said. But that's true of all of us. You know, that random conversation you have with a stranger on the bus or, at Starbucks while you're waiting for your coffee, you just don't know how that could touch someone. So it's worth the effort, in my opinion. Um, I agree. It's it's we, like ripples in a pond, right? Because if you touch that one person and they they get filled up from that, they experience yeah. you know peace or love or acceptance, and then they touch the next person, and that just keeps rippling outward. Yeah, and it and it makes you feel better too. Mm-hmm. Right. That yes. perfection, you know, probably not gonna happen. Um you know, we just keep showing up every day and doing the work. Mm-hmm. You know, I know um, you know, you get to see it too. You we people come into the studio and they're there to work out. And then before you know it, they're meditating. And before you know it, they're trying something else. It's amazing. Yeah. And I I guess I do want to emphasize that it really is the experience that is most important. So we, you and I can have this conversation all day long and and it's, it's a great conversation and people can learn from it, but 
it, you have to have the experience to truly know what yeah, we're just, talking about here. Stiff. Yeah. And yoga insists on that. Yoga is not dogmatic. It is a practice of direct experience. Um, um, the philosophies, uh, uh, the Indian philosophies insist on rigorous debate, on personal experience. Uh, they ask no one to take anything on faith. Uh, you must have the experience yourself. You can't emphasize that enough, actually. Yeah. You, know, you and I are here to say it works. For us, it works. Um, there are many paths up the mountains. You know, the people that listen, they might find a different way, all valid. Yeah, there's a, um, a guru, um, Ramana. Uh, oh, God, the name's going to come out of my head. Ramakrishna. There's a book called The Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna that I highly recommend. He was, um, he lived in the late 1800s be one of the last incarnations of um, Vishnu Krishna to come back, I believe is what they say. And he practiced all things. He practiced Christianity. He practiced being a Muslim. He practiced being a Christian, uh, Christian uh, Tantra, a Bhakti, um, uh, all these things. And he would become enlightened. And he's, he was a universalist. He said that all paths are valid. Um, they all lead to the same place. We're all going to the same place. So you have to make room for people to get there in their own way too. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I, would, I would say you can't proselytize yoga. You know, you feel so great. And you're like, oh my God, I just want everybody that I love to feel better. Come to yoga. <laughs> you know? And it can't, it doesn't work like that in yoga. You have to, you, when you're ready, you go, you know, and you could be there two years. You just go for the asana. And then one day the teacher says something and you're like, huh. Yeah. It really is like that. It really is like, huh. <laughs> and, and then 10 other teachers could actually have said the exact same words. <laughs> And you did not go, huh? Yeah. <laughs> in fact, you maybe didn't even hear it because you were somewhere in your head, not paying yeah. attention, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. But what is the expression um, when the student is ready, the teacher appears? The teacher appears. It's true. And it's so I have true. students come up to me and say, oh my God, you said this thing tonight. And that is just what I needed to hear. I, you know, nobody's ever said it that way. Today. I've been said, and I know I've been, I've said it like 15 <laughs> million times, you know, yes. that's how it works. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. Well, then let's talk about some of the things that have particularly worked for you. So your um, practices that you maybe use on a daily basis mm -hmm. that keep you grounded, keep you moving along this path. Um, number one thing for me is um, the Maha Mantra, which is the Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare. That's always in my head. I list, as soon as I get up in the morning, that goes on my um, stereo. So that is one of my biggest regular practices. I read um, scripture. I try to do it every day, if possible, read some scripture. 
And there might scripture be, from where? Where do you where are you reading? Uh, like Menduki Upanishad, the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Um, I'm reading um, a book by Graham Schweig right now on the tenth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, or I read part of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, so they're, these, they're hardcore part of my practices. It, like, you know, I try never to go a day without those things. And are these things hard to understand? So, you know, a lot of people will be listening to you, the words coming out of your mouth and not understanding <laughs> a single thing that you are saying. <laughs> yes, they are. So are they, are they, is it like just trying to sit down and read the Bible, which I tried to do years yes, ago? They and are. Was very so, ineffective. You know, at. I, I try to find teachers to help me um, understand. It's slow going. This is not a book you read in like, you know, two nights. Mm-hmm. So maybe one day it's just a passage, you know, and I just try to let that sit with me. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, I love the chanting for sure. And singing Kirtan, I love that. They're, they soothe my soul, soothe, absolutely soothe my soul. Um. I read a book very recently that like really was so good for me. It was called The Journey Home by Radhanath Swami about his life and how he came to be on the spiritual path um, as a seeker. Fantastic. Highly recommend that. But read a lot. And then the other things I do is meditate. Um, Teaching for me is a part of my practice. Uh, Practicing yoga when I get to. doing the asana part, pranayama, breath work, so good. Um, But yeah, my biggest things, like the things every day are chanting and reading, which is funny, right? For like a lot of people don't, would think, well, don't you practice yoga every day? Like the physical part of it. Sometimes I, you know, if if I'm having a good week, yeah, every, I get that every day, but it's um, the food for my mind, which ultimately hopefully gets to my soul. Um, that's most important. All right. Those are all fantastic. Yeah. And then the last question, I guess, I will ask you is, um, we talked about this, unfortunately, last time it got cut off. So I will ask you again, but mm-hmm. um, at Balance Planet Yoga, which is the studio that you co-own with your daughter, daughter Jenna, um, you guys have made a very intentional choice to make that studio a community and not just a studio, uh, a place where people feel like they have a home. It's a, a home outside of their home. They have friends, they have close relationships. Uh, they feel safe to be themselves and to show up as themselves, whatever that may mean for that particular day. You know, sometimes it's a good day and sometimes it's not, and both are welcome and accept it with love. Um, so I guess, why did you make that choice? Cause it's, I think that it's a little bit, um, more work on your part. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I love people. I really do. Like I, I just feel so pulled to love and serve people. Um, and, and I really am one of those people that just believe that love can change the world. 
you know, and um, I don't know, it's just, it's such a pull from my heart. And I know Jenna's the same way. Um, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely love everyone that comes in those doors. And, you know, some people don't get to experience that on the daily. They don't have that kind of love in their lives and they're so worthy of it. And if you can show people that maybe, you know, it's just contagious. Love's just as contagious as hate, maybe more. So if I can just be a small part of creating a little place where um, love's the cool thing, you know, accepting people is the cool thing, wherever they are, you know, however they look, um, getting people to see the light that's in everyone. Yeah. I want to make that cool. Yeah. Which you also mentioned the last time we spoke how, you know, people want to quit their corporate jobs or their day jobs or whatever and, and you know, become just a guru or a, I don't know, yeah. a yoga teacher or whatever the case may right, be. Right. How, what value it is to, to stay in those positions if, if you love them and if they bring you joy. Um, and take yoga this, teacher there. Yeah, take these practices there. Yeah, yeah my mentor, I had <laughs> that. Uh, quite a few years ago now, I remember lamenting to him. I said, I have these golden handcuffs and I just want to go teach yoga all the time. And, and I just remember him looking at me and he's saying, and he said, Cheryl, what makes you think that yoga only happens in a yoga studio? You're a yoga teacher everywhere you go. Don't you think those people going through divorces need yoga? Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hmm, it changed my life. Yeah. Changed my total perspective. And so I remember I'm not just a yoga teacher at Balance Planet Yoga. I have that ability to bring those teachings and those philosophies everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, that, and bring the temperature down yeah. wherever I go. Yeah, it's a it's a presence because when you take those philosophies and teachings and you really internalize them and they become just part of who you are, it's something that people just can feel when they're around you. You know, you may, it is in what you say and what you do, but it's also, I think it's yeah. almost more just in your overall presence. I mean, energy is real and yeah. we all give off energy. And you know, you know, you've met people that give you that little feeling in your tummy. You're like, uh. mm -hmm. and you also meet people and it's like, you've known them your whole life. Mm -hmm. Right. So we all have this ability to um, manage our energy and the energy that we give off. And that's what are you feeding your energetic body? Yeah. Fantastic. Let me see if I have anything else for you. Spam. Okay. One last question. Okay. If there was anything you could tell your younger self, what would it be? Oh, we're going to be okay. Hmm. We're going to be okay. It's all worth it. Yeah. I think that's a message we can keep telling ourselves over and over, right? We're going to be okay. Be Actually, okay. we already are okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're going to be okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
can't take out one piece. You don't get to be who you are. If you really love who you are right now, you you have to love everything that made you up. Mm-hmm. And that's really the work to love who you are. Yeah. Uh, and that's and, and it is about integrating all those pieces in just like, you know what we've been talking about this whole time is you know how do I clean things up in here and the result of that is you really start to love yourself and you're comfortable in here which brings us back to freedom, freedom. <laughs> yeah yeah beholden to nothing beholden to no one mm-hmm Yes. That's freedom for sure. It truly is. Truly is. And it's the work. It's the work that we do every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. And although, you know, I feel bad we had uh, our technical difficulties, it allowed me to spend a little more time chatting with you, so I can't complain. I feel the same way. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And I will see you at the studio soon. Sounds good, babe. Have a great weekend. You too. All right. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Okay, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation between me and Cheryl. I certainly enjoyed having it. um, And I hope you were able to get some things out of it, maybe some things that really just rang true to you that you just felt hit you in the in the heart or in the gut. uh, And you really recognize them in your own life. Um, Today's Uh, exercise I'm going to leave you with is related to this show. And it's uh, basically a reflection. So Cheryl and I talked a lot about freedom on this episode and what it means to be free in your life. And so I invite you to sit down with um, a journal or a piece of paper and reflect on those things in your life, those challenging things in your life that keep showing up over and over. As Cheryl and I mentioned, uh, we both have had things in our life that have repeatedly shown up. Uh, And take a moment just to reflect on at least one of those things. Sometimes there's more than one. And decide uh, from a place of peace and calm where you think those things are coming from or why they keep repeatedly showing up in your life and decide if that's something that needs work on the inside from you or something that's coming from somebody else that you need to set down and not carry on your shoulders Uh, and see how it makes you feel just to have that reflection And the next time that something um, rubs you the wrong way and you feel riled and like you want to react, I invite you to try a little exercise called STOP, where you literally, uh, it's an acronym, the S stands for STOP, the T stands for take a few deep breaths. The O stands for observe. So you'll observe what's going on inside of you, uh, both what emotion you're experiencing and where you're feeling it inside your body and what it feels like inside your body. And then the P stands for proceed. So then you'll go on to do whatever it is you need to do, the next action or step you need to take. 
But if you take that moment, and it really is only a moment, it could this entire process uh, could take 30 seconds or less. It just gives you a little bit of space from the experience to decide how you want to proceed and why you're feeling what you're feeling internally. So I, um, I hope you guys try both of those exercises and find them beneficial. Um, you can always reach out to me. Um, I am on Facebook and Instagram. I would love to hear what you think of the show and um, read any comments you might have. Um, I also ask that you please like, review, or download the episodes because um, if you do that, it helps more listeners find the show and we can really grow our audience. And my my whole uh, intention for this show is to help people, to help people feel better in their everyday lives, to move through their lives with more peace and ease and joy. So the more people that can hear these conversations, uh, the greater potential we have for impacting uh, a larger a larger group of people and, and healing the world. So I ask you to please do that for me if you enjoyed the show, and I hope you uh, come back and listen again. Thank you so much.